Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year 2022. We welcome you all to the Happiness Journey podcast with Dr. Dan, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I am a cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one sessions and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our website is lifecoachdanamzalag.com. Now today, I am very excited to have at our season three, episode number seven, a very special guest, Maria Rieger. Just like every of my past episodes, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job as them. Maria, the floor is yours. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Dan, for having me today. I'm, uh, I'm really excited to be uh, kind of delving into this topic, so thanks for having me. So um, I am an attorney by day, an author by night. I write fiction and nonfiction books. My nonfiction books are parenting books. Kind of the way I got to, to writing the parenting books were... Um, Unfortunately, I was raised by a narcissistic single mother. So as a kid, I was subjected to a lot of emotional, psychological trauma, constant gaslighting, uh, you know, conditional love and affection. And I um, was parented in a way that had a lot of negative repercussions for me as an adult, including being a people pleaser, having poor boundaries as an adult, uh, failing to self-champion, self-advocate. And um, as basically I worked uh, on reparenting myself, once I realized that actually I had been the victim of emotional trauma, um, I sought treatment and had to effectively reparent myself. And that process and journey really started in earnest when I became a parent to my own kid. And I realized how harmful the parent that my own parenting experience as a kid had been. And then I, I made the decision that I did not want to perpetuate kind of those harmful methods with my own kid. And I wanted to kind of break the generational cycle of this narcissistic abuse. So um, anyway, that's kind of what prompted me to, to do the healing journey in earnest. And that eventually culminated in, in writing parenting books to hopefully share some of this information with other parents who may not realize uh, that, you know, the trauma that they underwent as kids, because nobody wants to think that they had a mother that did not love them, that did not empathize with them. And people who had loving parents cannot fathom how that could possibly be. But unfortunately, there are a lot of bad parents out there who not only fail to empathize with their kids, but also uh, almost like set their kids up to fail because the parents are so insecure themselves. So that's kind of a little bit of what we want to talk about today, as well as some, um, you know, coping strategies, if you choose to have, maintain a relationship and connection with a narcissistic person in your life, whether it be a parent or a partner or a friend, uh, there are some kind of coping strategies to help you so that you don't feel crazy. Because if you're around a narcissist long enough with the gaslighting, you will feel that there's something wrong with you. You'll feel that you're the crazy one when it's really not you, it's them. That, that is true. Now, um, uh, Maria, when it came to you dealing with a narcissistic mother, now obviously you were young, it was mm-hmm. really hard for you to just get up and leave because obviously you depended on your parents. Um, was your father also a narcissistic person or he was not in the picture? 
So he was not a narcissist. Uh, he was very empathic, but he died in a car accident, unfortunately, when I was 11. Okay. So uh, I j- he was just not around. I, so I the only after age 11, the only model I had for parenting was my mom. And now as an adult, I realize just all the crazy things she did were not normal. And actually, when I I'm in my early 40s now, when I was in my 30s and I sought uh, therapy, I luckily I uh, got a therapist who who was familiar with 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 narcissism. Not all therapists are familiar with NPD, but she was. And she told me a lot of the stuff I described to my mother. She says that that's not normal. That's not normal. She has no boundaries. That's not normal for parent child relationship. And um, kind of that's that's uh, yeah, that's kind of what happened. Now, um, we know that there's different spectrum of narcissism. Right. Uh, would you say that your mom was covered narcissistic or was she like the, uh, the, the extreme level of narcissism or, or how now that you are a parent to your kid, how did you detach yourself from this upbringing? Because obviously we take whatever our parents gave us during mm-hmm. our childhood and we tend to not duplicate because especially if it worked then we try to do the same thing we change we tweak things a little bit but we basically utilize the same core but now for you what are you doing completely different and do you feel that you're not now not that you're not really crossing the boundaries that your mom was crossing but do you feel that you're too lenient of a parent because you're completely doing the opposite of what your mom did that's a great question. So, um, yeah, that's, it's interesting because I have this conversation with parents a lot. So I'm very much of the positive parenting, respectful parenting school of thought, right? So I'm more about guiding the child and kind of giving them, you know, introducing them, them to all life has to offer and like kind of letting them kind of decide what they want to do. My kid is 12 now, so he's not quite, not a teenager yet, but he's not a little kid anymore. He had very much has his own likes and dislikes, his own personality, right? Things like that. So. Um, I've, I've done a lot of research on uh, childhood development, early childhood development. So when I did, it became a lot easier for me to kind of weather the tough times with my kid because uh, adolescents and teenagers, you know, they have poor impulse control. That's normal because their brain is still developing. It's developing well into the 20s. So a lot of parents who criticize their, their kids, especially the boys in adolescence and teenage years for having poor impulse control, well, that's kind of normal. So spend less time criticizing and more time kind of giving the kids mechanisms to deal with that or talking them through it. My, my big thing with when I talk to parents, I have a YouTube channel. I also do a lot of parenting videos is focus on building a strong relationship with your kids or they feel comfortable coming to you to talk about anything and everything else kind of stems from there. They're much more willing to cooperate with you if they know that you love them unconditionally, you know, unconditional positive regard that nothing that they would do would change the fact that you love them with a narcissistic parent child relationship. That love is conditional. You don't get the love and affection from the kid, from the parents, unless you're doing something to please the parents. And my mother, to your question, my mother was, is the covert engulfing type. So overly involved in everything of the kids' lives, even as adults. I mean, I was raised, she basically kind of taught me and my siblings to a lesser extent, that like I needed her permission to do everything. And I remember as an adult realizing I don't need anybody's permission to do anything. Like I'm an adult, I'm financially independent. I don't need anybody to, 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 give, to give, you know, their blessing that I can do this. If it's a bad decision, oh, well, I'll deal with it later. So um, yeah, but she was, but, but it's tough because to the outside world, she was the perfect mom, right? But with me, uh, 
yeah, I, I mean, if you're familiar with narcissistic family dynamics, I'm the scapegoat, right? There's always usually one kid that's chosen to be kind of the family garbage can, right? The, uh, the scapegoat, that's what I call it. But um, yeah, so she, uh, but very much overly involved and very much uh, like no bound. That's what my therapist says, just no boundaries. Yeah. Okay. Now, let me, uh, I, I've spoken to a few psychiatrists and they say that this type of parenting where you are open with your child, you, you try to really get to converse with them about every little problem, but that creates also this kind of like where a parent become a friend to their kid. So that mm-hmm. can be a very delicate situation as well, where there's yes. so, um, the, the, the parents does not have any more authority and the kid does not perceive their parents as someone who will still, who still have somewhat of a control. I mean, they're the parents and they're the kid. So how do you, with this kind of leniency behavior mm-hmm. that you have with, your, uh, with your kid, where, where do you not cross that line to allow right. this kind of like relationship that you have with your kid? Like the French right. I mean, I think it's fine to be a friend to your kid as long as they also realize that kind of you're the parent, right? And it is obviously not appropriate to allow, you know, kids to make adult level decisions or give them adult level responsibilities. You know, it's it, that's not appropriate. It, it is certainly appropriate to give them age appropriate responsibilities. You know, my kid's in charge of his own schoolwork, right? If he gets a bad grade on a test, that's on him. I'll help him if he needs help from me. He can ask me. I'm, I'll, I'll get him help. I'll help him. I'll, whatever. But that's on him, right? I'm not going to helicopter over him. Uh, but, but yeah. So, so it's fine to be friends. Like I don't necessarily agree that you should not be friends with your kid. It's fine to be friends. Like I play games with my kid. We play video games together. We, those are very bonding activities to do with, especially boys. Boys bond through competition. But you're the parent, and it's obviously. You know, not appropriate to be letting children make every single decision. It's also a lot of pressure and it's stressful to have ki- you know, young kids make a d- decisions that adults should be making. So th- it is a tough thing. I will tell you something interesting I read uh, in a book called Toxic Parents, probably heard of it. It's kind of an older book. Uh, this psychiatrist who wrote that book said that in their opinion, kind of the negative consequences from overly permissive parenting are are not nearly as bad as a negative consequences kind of like overly authoritarian parenting. And, and that's, that's something that I subscribe to myself because as a, an adult, even it took me a long time to advocate for myself. I did things I did not want to do because I honestly thought I had no say. I honestly thought I had to please the other person, even physically, financially. And that's very dangerous. I don't ever want to bring my kid up to the point where, you know, he's an adult not self-advocating. I don't, because that's harmful because unfortunately there are a lot of people when you're adult who do not have your best interest at heart. They have their best interest at heart, right? (laughs) So I would rather my kid argue with me and negotiate and self-champion than just abjectly obey. That's, That's me personally. That's my philosophy. Maybe not everyone agrees with that, but compliance is not as important to me as standing up for yourself. Now, I'm lucky, you know, I, I, I formed a very close attachment with my kid from birth. He knows I love him no matter what. He knows I have his best interest at heart. So he cooperates with me. I very rarely have to kind of lay down the law and be like, do this, do that. He naturally cooperates. When I ask him to do something, he'll do it because he knows there's mutual respect there. And he knows I love him no matter what. He, my love for him is not dependent on what he does for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes uh, complete sense. Now, um, when you were raised by a mother who was narcissistic, uh, 
did you feel that um, when you're going to find your partner in life, did you try to find someone that was the complete opposite, which was someone who, was a, who had empathy and someone who was not really wanting to control everything about the relationship? So did you really, were there any red flags when you were dating, et cetera, to say, oh boy, this is a sign of narcissism. So you were you more on the kind of like on the defensive? Yeah. So once I realized kind of that I had suffered this kind of trauma, then I was hyper aware of it. That's right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And, and when it comes to now, um, is your significant other still involved or this is a... Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm married. It's my second marriage. So I'm divorced from my kid's father. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, right. Yeah. Okay. And um, now when it comes to raising your child, um, is it, do, 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 you, do you have somewhat of a tendency to be able to recall some of the issue that you had with your mother and they come back somehow subconsciously? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've, um, my childhood is very clear for me. Like it happened yesterday. Parts of it. I don't remember. Like I have, you know, kind of mental blocks about some of it, but a lot of it, uh, a lot of it, I remember very kind of discreet specific things. And there are times I'll catch myself and I I'll think, Oh my God, I'm acting like my mom and I don't like this. <laughs> and I, and, you know, even my kid, even yesterday, he said, you know, you said this and it, it made, me, made me upset. You did this and it made me upset. And I told him, you know, I'm sorry. And you're right. And I should not have done that. And I'm sorry. And, um, you know, he's to the point, he's old enough now that I've talked to him about, you know, I was raised, there were very negative ways in which I was raised. And I'm really trying hard not to perpetuate that, you know, so without telling him the details. Um, but they're obvious, they're absolutely, we call them kind of, narcissistic fleas where you're not an artist like I'm not a narcissist myself thankfully but you do kind of you you were you bring on these ways in which you were negatively conditioned by the narcissistic parent you have to shed those but yes I absolutely do occasionally less and less thankfully find myself yeah, I catch myself and think like I'm acting like my mother and I don't like this this is not how I want to be <laughs> absolutely yeah sometimes it's hard to uh, bring back the past especially when right. the past was so toxic Yes. Try to avoid uh, re-implementing the same strategies. Now, um, if we try to redirect um, the, the, the mother to daughter uh, relationship when it comes to narcissism, if someone is, is dating or is, let's say married to a narcissist, um, it's almost something like the same because even in a relationship, a narcissist will still see their spouse as a kid and they will treat them as such. Yes. So, um, how do people manage or cope with someone who's narcissistic, someone who's gaslighting them constantly, et cetera. Is there a strategy, would you think that it's similar to how it was between a mother and a daughter versus a husband and a wife? Right, I mean, the, how, like you say, how the narcissist will treat the other person is gonna be similar, but obviously in a, in a relationship between two adults, you would think normally they would be more equals. They would have an equal say in decision-making and things like that. And obviously that's in a narcissistic relationship, you're not gonna have that. So as far as coping, I mean, one thing I cannot emphasize enough is find a good therapist who, who deals with people with narcissistic personality disorder, because not every therapist has that experience and not every therapist will understand the dynamic because it, it can be very subtle, especially when you're dealing with covert narcissists, it can be very subtle and you will think you are being, you are crazy when it's not you. Mm -hmm. So the therapist will help you as mine helped me kind of understand why the narcissist is like that. It's not an excuse, but when you understand that this is a mental health disorder, it is likely something that was created when they were a child, they were probably treated the same, 
most likely treated the same way by their parents or by somebody else. And they are perpetuating that because they don't know any better. And it's, you know, a mental health disorder, then you could at least begin to understand why they're like that. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean you have to accept the behavior, but you can at least understand that. And then detach as much as you can, because if you are constantly absorbing all the emotions, you're just going to be constantly exhausted. Mm -hmm. So you have to find a way to detach. And um, uh, a couple uh, mental health experts uh, described it like this, like observe, but don't absorb, observe what's happening, but don't absorb the emotions and the feelings and everything. You could you know, try to clinically observe it and think, this is curious. I'm going to think about this, but don't let it affect kind of your mental state and your emotional state. And that's hard to do when you're in a relationship with someone and you live with someone. So you may need to isolate yourself once in a while. Do not make that narcissistic partner you're the center of your world or the center of your attention. Do not. They will try to get you to do that. But do not have your own friends, have your own, uh, you know, see your own family. If, if that relationship, that dynamic is healthy, go on, uh, you know, weekend trips with your friends, go on weekend trips by yourself, take a day for yourself to just be by yourself. You're going to need that time to kind of just detach and, and know who you are because the narcissists are very good at kind of projecting their wants and needs onto you. And that's a big complaint I find when I talk to adult children who had narcissistic parents is they don't even know who they are. They don't even know what they like. Right. So part of the healing process is to detach from the narcissist and figure out who you are as an individual, what you like, what you value, what your goals are in life. So it's very important that if you're, if you're continuing contact with a narcissist, you have those things in mind, very clear that you are separate from the narcissist. So that's kind of the, the, then they're obviously um, like I'm a big reader, so I like to read about you know uh, toxic parenting. I've read about uh, you know uh, trapped in the mirror is another book about narcissists, narcissists and relationships. Um, there's a, there's a great book. Uh, will I ever be good enough? It's for daughters of narcissistic moms. So those will get you a lot of validation as far as you're not the only one going through that, and that's very helpful, obviously. And there are a lot of online support groups, both on Facebook and local support groups. I know there's a local meetup group near where I live. I'm in the Washington, D.C. area for adult children of narcissistic parents. So it's very helpful to kind of sit and talk with people who've had these same experiences. Because like we said, if, if you haven't experienced this, it's really difficult to describe to somebody who has not experienced this type of abuse what you're going through, because they just they just really cannot fathom what it's like. And also, you mentioned something interesting about the mental illness part of it. Um, I have read through different uh, medical research that there is a chemical imbalance for covert narcissistic people where there's uh, a hormone in the brain that is not produced that is called vasopressin. This hormone that lacks, the, that enables someone to be able to show empathy, to be able to show love, care for others, they don't produce enough of it. Okay, so wow. I'm not sure if there's any supplement to be able to uh, kind of help those people. I, I wish there is, um, but this is one of the many cases why people are the way they are. So it's like someone who has cancer, you're not going to accuse them of having cancer. But narcissism, we tend to accuse that person of having a big ego or having or behaving the way they are because they want to, not necessarily. Mm -hmm want to is because sometimes the brain cannot produce that side or that hormone that enables them to show empathy love care for other people it's interesting 
Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I was I was. Shocked. I did not know that. Yeah. Yes, that's so V A S O P R E S I N. Vasopressin, and uh, I was myself shocked and amazed by that. Saying, okay, you know what? It's not solely their fault. Maybe they were born this way. And uh, but of course, those who are uh, just wanting to have to take control of everything in someone else's life, that as you as you said, you have to detach yourself because if you are codependent to this person, they will take advantage. And one thing that also narcissistic people do, they put everyone against you. So they they talk to especially when you have common friends. If you have to have friends on your own. They will try to tell you, don't, this person is like uh, bad news. They're toxic. Get away from them. Because if you built your own, I would say, circle of friend, they could not access that circle, which makes them lose control. And the control is what they thrive in. So Mm -hmm. that's one thing that, and you're right, go on trip. Show them that you are listening, but you don't care about what are their techniques to be able to bring you down, gaslight you, make you feel worthless, et cetera. So there are strategies and these are really good coping mechanism. But again, when you love someone, I mean, your, your heart does not allow to take control or yeah, your heart will not be able to take control of your mind. And unfortunately, the heart will be taking basically all aspect of your life and will give them reason as to why. So you're going to start defending them, defending their behavior and so on and so forth, which is already the beginning of the end. That's tough. Yeah, that's tough. It's essential that you find, you know, like you say, you have a life outside of the narcissistic relationship. Definitely. Correct. So, uh, yeah. And in, in you're in the Washington D.C. area, right, Maria? That's right. Yes, that's right. Um, are there any local uh, agencies that can help people to that are in a very toxic and also abusive relationship to be able to get the help that they need? To be able to get away. I know that you're a lawyer, but are you a lawyer? Right. A domestic uh, lawyer. No. No, I don't. Um, I do not practice uh, family law, but there are um, there are some. Obviously, there's a lot of pro bono uh, 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 legal groups kind of associated with the county or the city. So, if you need legal help, obviously uh, they can help you. But um, I, I don't know of any <clears throat> that specifically deal with this type of uh, abuse. But there are set, like certain. Um, I don't um, like mental health clinics and um, uh, therapists who accept uh, you know different kinds of insurance. That definitely you can um, ask them for for help and referrals. I think one of the best things to do is ask your physician, your GP, for referrals. And also, I've had luck with Psychology Today finding therapists who specialize in different type of types of you know trauma or mm-hmm. types of therapy. What's that? I'm on it. Um, technology. I, yeah, that's right. Yeah, of course you would be. You would be. Um, so yeah, and you could also like depending what insurance you have, if you have you know Medicaid or any other types of insurance, you can search by that too. And so that's kind of the one of the best ways to start, I think. Uh, but definitely, I could definitely uh, do some research on local local support groups and get that to you. That would be wonderful. And now, sure, certainly, uh, giving to everyone to all of our listeners that are sometimes also struggling on not knowing what to do because they're afraid of, especially if the narcissistic person is the one who brings in the dough, so to speak. And they're just uh, afraid of leaving because where am I gonna stay? Where I'm gonna be able to take my kids, especially those who have kids, et cetera. Um, what, do you, what would you suggest them to prepare themselves with? I mean, I know that uh, you and I, prior to this podcast, we had a conversation in which basically start saving 
start, uh, you know, putting aside your own money. So like this, you have a place to stay or, or rent or whatever it is. So how, what other strategies would you suggest them? Right. Yeah. I really cannot emphasize that one enough financial independence, whether, you know, you're, you're a, a, an adult child who's financially dependent on the parent or financially dependent on your partner. Definitely. So uh, if, if you can, you know, be financially independent, that's obviously one less method for that the nurses can have control over you. So as far as uh, other methods for preparing, make sure you have a good support network, good social network, friends, family, you trust that you have healthy relationships with who can support you, even if it's only, you know, for uh, moral support, if they're, even if they're not giving you financial support, moral support, you're going to need that, right? You're going to need that. Uh, definitely, like we said, a good therapist. Um, if you're considering leaving the relationship and you want to consult an attorney, you definitely want to, you know, do that. So at least you know what your rights are, because I have known people who have been in uh, litigation after divorcing a narcissist, and that is not a fun place to be. Definitely not. Especially yeah. narcissistic will do everything. They will even try to manipulate the attorneys, etc., to be able to. Yes. The one who left. She's the one who abandoned me. I didn't do anything. She's the one who's toxic, and they're going to reverse everything against that person. And yes. How? And this poor person is like just doesn't know where else to look for the what what kind of support they could find if their attorney is trying kind of like working against them then we have a big problem. Yes. And that's, this type of abuse is so hard to prove. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the other thing is it, it, I mean, yeah. So that's definitely, that's definitely uh, a kind of a big, a big area of concern. Um, and like, I'm an attorney myself and I don't want to bad mouth attorneys, but when you litigate in a family law situation, I mean, the only people winning are the attorneys because they're getting the money. I mean, that, that, if you're dragging out the litigate and I tell people that all the time, like it's just not worth it right? So it's just, it's, but you may not have a choice. If you're litigating against a narcissist, you you may not have a choice. And if children are involved, you may have to litigate and that's unfortunate. So it is, it is essential that you, you find an attorney who's going to advocate for you and make sure you know your rights. Especially if the narcissistic person has deep pockets. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, it is. Yes. It's a very big problem. Dragging and dragging until the person drain emotionally financially absolutely this is how they win unfortunately that's exact and you that brings up a good point and i've i've i heard this from other mental health next experts who are experts in narcissism you know you it's really hard to beat the narcissist don't think you're gonna beat the narcissist you win by disengaging with them you win by as you said you win by detaching and disengaging with them. You're not going to beat them at their own game, but they're going to win every time. That's what they do. Yes. You just disengage and you walk away and you have a great life. That's how you win, honestly. That, that is the best, best advice. But again, like I said, for matter of the hearts, uh, Maria. Yes. You disengage emotionally. Yeah. Yes. Can, but emotionally, it's kind of like, well, I'm connected to this person. We've been together for 10 years. Right. But again, they, they, they tend to forget all the <laughs> that happened in the past and it's at the moment they try to be mindful but mindfulness really does not work with a narcissistic no. person you, you're always no. <clears throat> accused for everything that's going wrong in their lives you right say, you're the one who's not contributing you're the one who's doing this how much can a human being can take that's oh yeah question. yeah that's right and you know you may find uh, that if you, as you say, if you are disengaging from the narcissist, if you're in a relationship with a narcissist and you're living you know, your own life and have your friends and have your job and are, are doing well, you may find the narcissist either leaves you or threatens to leave you, 
right? Because now they're losing control. They're losing control over you and over their narcissistic supply. That's what they need, right? They need that constant supply of, uh, you know, attention uh, and, and things like that from the kind of the, from the victim, the narcissistic victim. So they may threaten to leave you or they actually may leave you thinking that you're going to come crawling back to them. Right. And that's going to give them even more power. So, I mean, that's something that that's a dynamic that could play out too. Just something to be prepared for that. If you're doing that detaching emotionally and kind of going out with your friends and, and not let it, you know, not getting involved in in your narcissistic partner's drama, that that's one way that dynamic can play out. You know, we have to look at narcissistic people, uh, Maria, like vampires. Once they drain your Mm -hmm. blood completely, they go and find the other victim. And that's the thing. They don't have any emotional attachment with their victim. And that's the worst thing is that they could bounce from one person to the other and never feel that it's their fault. They're always going to say, well, she left me because of this. She left me because of that. It's not my fault. And they're going to try to gain force with the numbers with, by, by telling your friends, your family, oh, my God, your daughter, what she did to me. I cannot believe I don't deserve this, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I've dealt with so many narcissistic people. It's unbelievable yeah. how I know the scenario. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great way of thinking about it. They are basically like emotional vampires. Yeah. They're just going to take your energy, use it up. Because when because they're in so insecure themselves that when they're left alone with their own thoughts, they they start to decompensate. Yes. That's that's why they need the supply, the constant supply from other people. Exactly. And you know, my to, to be fair, my mother, you know, she was raised the same way by her mother. And I remember her mother, who died of dementia, the last couple of years of her life, she was living alone and she would call people just to talk, not about anything specific, because she needed the supply, right? And when she couldn't get a hold of somebody, she would call everybody. She would call everybody, everybody, and leave these messages that it was an emergency, call me back, and you call her back. Well, what do you want? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. You know, it was just because she needed, she needed the supply, and she would just call random people until she could get the supply, because she could not she could not be alone, right? Because they'll start to decompensate. Because because at, at some, I mean, this is a question for you because I don't know, I'm not a mental health expert, but do the narcissists, do they actually, are they self-aware at all? Do they realize what they're doing or do they just not even realize it? It's, it's a very interesting question, Maria. And for some, they never feel that anything they do is their fault. Now, okay. um, I know that subconsciously speaking, there's something in their mind because of past trauma that was, you know, either they were bullied in school, mm-hmm. um, either they were not good enough for the family, either they were the black sheep of the family. So they, as you say, they try to compensate for what they were lacking then, okay? And do they realize it? Chances are, no. A good 85 to 90% of the, the, narciss- the covert narcissistic, mm-hmm. because it's also the vulnerable narcissistic uh, spectrum, which is someone that understand uh, a lot of the their behavior, they they want to get help because remember, covered narcissistic people try to ask them to go to therapy. They'll show you the middle finger. They said, mm-hmm. "I don't have the problem. She yep. has the problem. Yep. I'm I'm okay. I'm fine. Why should I go yep. get therapy? Forget about them." Okay. Mm-hmm. But the, the uh, vulnerable narcissistic people, they understand that their behavior is not at par. They understand that they're doing damage. They show certain amount of empathy towards other people, but yet they still want to be put on a pedestal. They still want to feel important. And if they don't feel important, they start detaching themselves from that person that is not giving them the attention. Okay. But there's some 
behavioral traits that are very similar, but also why there's two spectrum is because they know when someone is covered, when someone is the extreme, while others that are not really, that are showing some kind of understanding of their behavior, and they're more likely to want to seek help. So this is how you differentiate them, but you cannot really go into the mind of a covered narcissistic person and asking them, are you realizing the damage that you're doing? Because then you say, what damage? What am I doing wrong? Right. Don't. And it, it is possible, I'm not sure, it not, has not been proven, that they're aware. But if they show that they're aware, if they express their awareness, they're going to be vulnerable. And they do right. not want to be vulnerable. Right, right, right. And that's why that, that question, again, is very, you know, it's in between. It's hard to answer with accuracy. We still have not yet gone into so much depth into understanding the mind of a narcissist. It's like we cannot connect them to like wires and right. why are they behaving this way? And if consciously speaking, they're aware of their behavior, we are not sure about that yet. But again, like I said, it's very hard to be able to ask a narcissistic person or covered narcissist to be able to tell people, yes, I'm behaving this way. I feel ashamed. What can I do to be able to fix it? Right. They will not. They right. always feel that the other people are right. hitting them because right. they're insecure, because they're there, that this, whatever it is, and that's the reason why they're, uh, they're doing this. So right. um, when it comes to people or our listeners to be able to find your books, uh, Maria, where can I get, where they could find them and also your channel on YouTube? Sure. So um, I, you can look for my name, uh, Maria Rieger. It's R-I-E-G-G-E-R. I'm on Amazon. I've got my books on Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble. Uh, also got um, one of my parenting books is uh, on Audible. On, uh, so you can look for it that. It's called Your Scorpio Child. I incorporate a little bit of astrology into my positive parenting. So I've, I found that there are actually uh, some interesting patterns I think are worth, worth exploring. So my YouTube uh, channel is Positive Parenting uh, with Maria Rieger. And um, I've got a lot of info there uh, on um, positive parenting tips and, and also uh, have posted some, some uh, videos on kind of recovering from childhood trauma and reparenting yourself, kind of reparenting yourself from the mother wound, which a lot of us obviously with narcissistic mothers have. So um, yeah, so I have a pretty active uh, uh, Facebook or uh, YouTube channel um, and uh, I'm at... Uh, my blog is uh, lawschoolheretic.com, and you can email me directly at maria at lawschoolheretic.com, and I'm happy to answer any, uh, any emails. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really do appreciate, Maria, for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join us, especially at being uh, one of the episodes of 2022. I'm very excited about this. Thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible story. Now, we hope that you have all enjoyed today's episode, and I'm very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for the year 2022 of the Happiness Journey podcast filled with inspirational stories just like the one you're listening to today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. Here is a, a quick formula for success. It's pretty simple. Increase your rate of failure. Most are thinking of failure as the enemy of success. Quite the contrary. You can either be discouraged by failure or you can learn from it. So go ahead and make as many mistakes as you possibly can, because it is in failure that you find success. It's all about acquiring experience. You can't really feel failure if you have not experienced it. You can read all the books in the world or watch any YouTube uh, show like Maria, but that won't give you the desire to get back and push through these challenges. Failure is your friend, so keep it as close to you as you can. 
My name is Dr. Dan Emzelang, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.